Please uh, turn in your Bibles uh, to 2 Peter chapter 1. And uh, um, 2 Peter chapter 1. It may not seem like a Christmas passage, and on one level it isn't, but on another level I believe it is. We talked quite a bit about the incarnation last week, and that C.S. Lewis in his book on miracles made the point that from the incarnation, which he calls the grand miracle, every other miracle flows. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful uh, reminder of how crucial it is that we understand the incarnation, what it is, okay, and why it is dismissed by cults and other groups uh, who basically say, uh, Jesus, God, God in the flesh, ah, come on, give me a break, okay? But this is the clear testimony of scripture, the clear testimony of the church throughout the ages, the recognition of who Jesus is, Emmanuel, God with us, and the implications of what he did in that he would go to the cross and there carry our sin. But where we're going to go today is the fact that what does that mean for you and me in daily life? And I think what it means on one level is this, that we can truly change and grow in our Christian lives. Everybody say amen. amen. I hope a year from now, okay, or maybe a year ago in the past, okay, you recognize that God is changing you, okay? I've told you that I, uh, I think I have a PhD in worrying. And if you have four daughters, uh, you know what that's all about, okay? Uh, uh, but uh, uh, God can change us. He can grow us. He can help us see the foibles that we have in our minds and our hearts, show us scripture, okay, and grow us so that we can grow in our assurance that our lives are in God's hands and that he loves us and that he's working in the darkest of situations. I've told you my dear friend Dave Hall, his friendship has literally changed my life the last 40 years, discipled me, mentored me, given me a kick in the pants when I need it, okay, whatever the case may be. But he has taken to saying this to me and others who are describing the most difficult situations imaginable. And he will say with this little smirk on his face, I think God is up to something. Would you say that with me? I think God is up to something. Let's say it one more time, please. I think God is up to something. We look at a situation with our own earthly human assessment, okay, and then we predict what a mess this is. What are we going to do? I have a friend who calls it catastrophizing. Did you ever catastrophize? I know you're all deep and spiritual and filled with faith all the time, so you would never do that. I catastrophize. I look at a situation that troubles me and I don't see a solution and my mind goes catastrophizing. Okay? Friends, God is working in every situation and the crux of the matter is are we going to be waiting, hoping, praying, believing, renewing our mind by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God as we wait for the solution, okay, or the answer? Okay, and I have found that God's timetable is always very different than mine. Always. But what he does in that time span that goes by is he changes me. I want to change. I want to grow. I want to be different. 
I want a year now from now for me to be farther along in this confirmation process of Jesus changing me and making me more like him. As Chuck Swindoll said in one of his books that came out many, many years ago, it was entitled Three Steps Forward and Two Steps Back. Okay? And that really describes the, the process of Christian growth pretty well. We think we're making progress, we're moving along, and then all of a sudden something happens and we slide back two steps. I'm not good at math, but I still think that three minus two is one. And in the long run, we've still inched farther forward, right? We've still grown, okay? But it's kind of sometimes a herky-jerky process, okay? But God is working, and it says in Philippians, he who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion till the day of Christ. If you would stand with me and uh, uh, follow along as I read in 2 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 11. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. We're going to come back to that phrase again. Through those promises, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came. You came, the eternal word made flesh. Thank you, Jesus, that you suffered in all ways just like us, yet never sinned. We thank you that you are Emmanuel. You lived, you died, you rose from the dead. You ascended to the Father. And thank you, Jesus. We wait and we hope and we anticipate your second coming. And I pray in the meantime that your Holy Spirit and your word and our fellowship in the body of Christ would sustain us as we keep walking with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know how old you were when you saw It's a Wonderful Life for the first time. Does anybody like that movie anymore? Oh, thank you, you're blessed. I didn't see that movie till I was 29, and I don't know why, I don't know where it was all my life. Uh, but I was on the East Coast, and I was pastoring a little church in upstate New York. And our song leader invited me, and I wasn't married yet, uh, over to their house, him and his wife, Chet and Joy. And uh, we had dinner. It was a few days before Christmas. And then we watched uh, It's a Wonderful Life. And I think I had a spiritual experience. I hope I'm not being blasphemous there. It was an incredible movie. I just loved it. I thought, where in the world has this movie been all my life? 
Well, I was in Elmira, New York, E-L-M-I-R-A, and in the movie, one of the guys is, I forget what part of the movie, but he says, I got to get home to Elmira, New York. And I thought, what is going on here? Am I in a time warp? I'm in Elmira, and this guy in the movie is saying, I got to get home to Elmira. And, and it was just fantastic. And I love Jimmy Stewart, and Donna Reed is fantastic, and it's just a, a delightful movie. It's amazing what it starts off with, with this young, ambitious, idealistic uh, person, George Bailey, okay? And he's going to be an architect, and he's going to conquer the world. And, of course, he gets married and then almost loses his bank and, and everything. And then it sits at Potter's feet. And then, of course, all those people come at the end and help him out financially, and he gets through that uh, dark time. It's just it's a great movie. And some of you are looking like, Drew, can you just move along with the sermon? Uh, we've heard enough about its wonderful life. Okay, we'll get along. Okay, verse 3. Look what it says. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Look down in the middle of verse 4. That you may participate in the divine nature. Okay? None of this would be possible if Jesus hadn't come as a human person who perspired and got hungry and needed sleep and got upset and lived a normal life like you and I live, okay? Yet at the same time, his eternal nature was never compromised, okay? So when you see that phrase there in verse 3, his divine power, okay? And then you see in the middle of verse 4, his divine nature. It's crucial that we distinguish between those two things. When we say divine nature, okay, we're talking about things such as what is God like? If you've ever read J.I. Packer's book, okay, uh, uh, Knowing God, or maybe read A.W. Tozer's book, Knowledge of the Holy, both of these books are a study in what is God like. Don't you want to know what God is like? Okay. What is he like? Now, say, for instance, you're in your early 20s, and you're not married yet, and you want to find a spouse. Okay. And I'm told, I've never looked at these things, but I'm told there's websites where you can find an available uh, single person. And then they've got a picture of the person, and then they've got the things that they'd like to do, okay? And you can scroll through that and say, oh, if you're a guy, oh, she's pretty. Oh, she likes to go hiking, and she likes this, and she likes this. Maybe I'll find out, uh, make contact with that person, and we'll go out to dinner. Now, can you imagine that you looked at that list, okay, and... It said all these things, and you looked at the picture, and she was pretty, and if you're a guy, and you thought, hmm, and then you go out to dinner, and who that person is in their person doesn't quite match with what you saw on the website. And you go, hmm, what happened here? Something's lost in the translation. On the picture, you look like a princess and the queen of Sheba, and in real life, uh, it, it's not quite working out. Now, I use that corny illustration to say this. We can study the attributes of God, the holiness of God. He, he's just, he's merciful, uh, and, and all those things. And there's a bunch of them, and I would encourage you to do that. 
It helps you grow in your understanding of Scripture, your appreciation of God. Uh, I, I think can even fuel worship, okay? Could you possibly read all those books on the attributes of God, but then not take the time to actually be with God? I mean, talking to him, listening to him, praying, pouring out your heartache to God, praying for things. So I got all this information in my head, and we should, and we should study scripture, we should study these powerful theological books that tell us what God is like, but I'm always going to challenge you, I want you to sit with God, and be quiet with God, and listen to God, and grow in that relationship. Because it's possible you could have a list of information about God, but you haven't spent time being quiet and praying and talking to God. Okay? The scriptures say, be still and know that I am God. Friends, we know a lot of things. We've got tons of information about all kinds of things. There's nothing that replaces personal one-on-one contact and engagement. And I think that's where Peter is leading his audience here and his readers in it, that because of Jesus and the incarnation and because of the coming of the Holy Spirit, we can actually participate and engage with who God is. This is phenomenal in my opinion. This is life-changing. We can talk to God, we can listen to God, we can pray to God, we can experience that personal engagement, and I think that's where Peter is taking his audience, his readers. Look at your outline there, if you would. A touch of review. Okay, we mentioned incarnation last week. Emmanuel, God with us. If you haven't read Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9, I recommend you do that uh, this Christmas to be reminded that Jesus was prophesied hundreds of years in the Old Testament and farther back and yet came in flesh, okay, in in the New Testament as our servant, as our king, uh, as the one that carried our sins on the cross. And then the question is always raised, how can that be? Okay, If you recall the illustration from last week, if the Queen of England got a job at McDonald's and set aside her crown and her royal robes and put on a McDonald's outfit, you could potentially go up and order a Big Mac and not know who you were talking to. You could potentially look at this person behind the counter and go, I don't have any idea that this person is the Queen of England. People looked at Jesus and didn't recognize who he was. Okay? Uh, We know your parents. We know where you're from. Okay, Uh, we don't recognize who you are. When Jesus spoke, when Jesus did miracles, when he stilled the storm and cast out demons and opened the eyes of the blind, okay, people stepped back and went, whoa, we've never heard anyone speak like this. When the storm was stilled on the Sea of Galilee, Peter said, what manner of men is this that the winds and the waves obey him? He didn't get it. But he just saw this violent storm be stilled and thought, ooh, maybe there's something going on more here than I realize. Folks, wherever you're at in your spiritual life, there's always more going on in Jesus. He always has more for you than where you're presently at. It's an inexhaustible journey. 
You sit with Jesus, you read his word, you pray, you say, Jesus, I want to hear your voice, I want to grow, I want you to deal with this issue in my life, and you surrender to that process, okay? He does the work, you surrender yourself to the process. Crucial thing to understand, Jesus, I don't want to be the same person a year from now that I am now. And I want to sit with you and have you change me and grow me and change me into the image of Christ. Okay? So, kenosis is the self-emptying that Jesus did to limit himself to a human body. In the same way that the Queen of England, in my illustration, limited herself to a McDonald's outfit with no crown, okay, and working behind McDonald's, leaving all of that at Buckingham Palace, she came and said, I will take orders at McDonald's. She limited herself to that voluntarily. Jesus voluntarily limited himself. He did it to obey his father, but he did it for you and me to come and walk on this earth and dwell in a body like you and I do and experience the pain, the difficulties, the things that we go through, yet never compromise his divine nature. This is the historical testimony of the church, okay, going all the way back to the uh, time of Christ. Uh, I, I always give you these verses, but I would encourage you to read them. It's not in your outline. Philippians 2.7, Colossians 1.19, and also the first five verses of Hebrews 1. Both of them, all of them clarify again, as well as many others, who is Jesus, okay? The next blank there. Theology is the study of the nature of God, okay? What is God like? What is he like? So theo, the prefix for that, means God. So we study God, we read this book, and then amazingly enough, we look to the incarnation, and Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay? So we're talking about a revelation, okay, of what God is like. Now, we know whenever we talk about this, we have general revelation. You can look at creation and say, wow. This is a revelation of what God is like. Psalms 19, creation tells of the glory of God, okay? We're blessed to live in this beautiful area, and you can walk outside at night, look at the stars, and, and, and I never say, wow, the Big Bang was just amazing. <laughs> the Big Bang is just incredible. Never, never once. I look at those stars and the mountains and the lakes and all that we have here. I say, wow, God, you made this. When I see a rainbow, okay, zillions of times I thought, wow, God, you were having a good day when you created rainbows. It's amazing. Light shining through beads of water and the colors of the spectrum coming out the other side, refracting through the water and then projecting on the sky and putting all those colors up there. Man, God, you were having a good day when you made rainbows. And when I see them, I always say, you know what? God's going to keep his promises. It's the same way with bald eagles. My kids know, and they've heard it a million times. Uh, for some reason, so many times in my life, when I've gone through difficulties, I see a bald eagle and I say, you know, God, you're here with me. Because it says in Isaiah, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And God has this uncanny way of showing me a bald eagle on a wheel line or a pivot 
or a telephone pole, when I need to be reminded, it's like he's saying, hey, buddy, I'm right here. You're convinced that that situation looks bad and there's no solution, but I am right here, okay? And I hope you have testimonies of that from in your own life, of when God has revealed himself and reminded you and nudged you on the soldier, I am right here. Calm down. <laughs> Get a grip. God's on his throne. His promises are true. He is right here. Here with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us, and then he died and rose from the dead, and he sent his spirit, and he left these promises. Through these promises, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can participate in the divine nature and be reminded, I am right here. I am with you. The next blank there, see what it says there? I'm throwing another word at you, okay? But uh, theosis is the process of God engaging the human heart for growth, change, and relationship. Now, when we say theosis, what are we saying? You got that prefix again, theo, which refers to God, okay? And then osis, we have this process of change. Now, Jim Morris, I just saw him walk in and he can explain this better than me. And Jim, you just interrupt me if I get this wrong. But people that understand biology talk about this, and I will read this so I don't mess it up. What's osmosis? The spontaneous passage of water through a permeable membrane. You have a cell, you have all kinds of biology and whatever, water passing from one side of a cell to another. Oftentimes, it's used in this issue of salt water and fresh water. If you've ever been to where the Klamath runs into the ocean, can you imagine the salt concentration in the ocean? Can you imagine fresh water coming out of the Klamath and going into the ocean, and what happens there? Osmosis happens in that fresh water hits salt water, and salt water hits fresh water, and they blend together. Can I tell you something? When you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes into you and a change process begins. Everybody say amen. amen. Isn't it good that God changes us? Isn't it good that the Holy Spirit comes into us, creates spiritual life, takes us from the darkness of sin into his presence? We still struggle, we're still perfect, but we're seen through the blood of Christ at that point as righteous and clean and God's children. And then a process begins. And we got this phrase from Wick Warren's book many years ago where he said, God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. He's going to say, I love you just the way you are, Drew. But you know what? We got some things we need to work on here. And then this process of growth happens, okay? Osmosis Water moving through a membrane to another part of a cell, or the clamor flowing to the ocean, salt water and fresh water mixing, or the presence of God coming into the human heart, creating spiritual life, and then that spirit working out in all the members of my body. And read Romans 7 if you don't believe what I'm talking about. Paul said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I should do, I don't do. Okay, I think I mixed it up there, but you get the idea. Okay, read Romans 7. Welcome to the Christian life. 
And what do we do? We surrender to that process and say, God, may your presence work in me as I participate in your divine nature, as I engage with you, as I surrender to you, as you speak to me about issues and stuff, I say, yes, Lord, you love me unconditionally. That will never change. And I submit to this process of saying, Lord, I want to change. I want to grow. Look back at your outline, if you would, there. Okay, participating and engaging. Okay, everything begins with the reality of the incarnation. Okay, we've talked about that, but I want you to see that Peter does the same thing and roots all of this in the incarnation. Look at verse 16 of 2 Peter chapter 1. For we do not follow cleverly devised stories... Okay, I think that's a powerful statement. I was read, reading something about Scientology the other day. I guess Tom Cruise and John Travolta are, are wrapped up in that. And uh, uh, they believe something about Martians and outer space orbits and things coming to Earth. It's absolutely a bizarre fair, fairy tale. Okay? And those fairy tales stretch to every strata of society in all kinds of different movements. So we come back to this book again and again and say, who do you think Jesus is? Oh, he's a nice moral teacher. Oh, he has given us a wonderful example to live by. Okay? Friends, Jesus is God in the flesh. I am still lost in my sins if Jesus isn't God in the flesh. Okay? So Peter says, for we do not, verse 16, 2 Peter 1, we do not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What is he talking about? Look at verse 17. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from the heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. He's talking about the Mount of Ascension, okay? You could make the same transference to when he was baptized. The Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my son, and I am well pleased. The eternal son limited to a physical body walking on the earth for 33 years. So Peter does the same thing and roots this process in the incarnation. The incarnation transforms my life, second blank, through the Holy Spirit when I am born again. Turn to John chapter 3 for a moment. Familiar discussion, I believe, I suppose, that uh, Nicodemus had with Jesus, okay? See what he says here in John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher that has come from God. Now that in itself is not enough, as we've just been saying. You can convey information, but if you are God in the flesh, it's a whole new ballgame. And I don't think Nicodemus realized that just yet. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. 
Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time in their mother's womb to be buried. Jesus, to be born. Uh, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And he goes on and describes the work of the Holy Spirit and Nicodemus doesn't understand. And listen to this phrase in verse 10. It's like he's saying, you don't get it? You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. That Pharisee had a ton of information in his head about God, but did not have a personal encounter with the Spirit of God. Okay? Lots of information. Okay? And we could give him a break and say, well, you know what? The Spirit hadn't come yet, and maybe that's true. But Jesus is saying, this is a whole different deal then memorize the Ten Commandments. This is having a personal engagement, a personal encounter with the Spirit of God by faith in that that Spirit takes up residence inside of you. There's spiritual life inside of you. Do you know that if you're born a Christian, there's spiritual life inside of you? My wife was listening to a sermon by Charles Stanley the other day, and he was talking about the fact of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And whether you're changing a dirty diaper or dealing with a grumpy customer or you got a rough neighbor or a marriage issue or whatever, Christ is in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it comes down to us repenting of our minds where we construct all kinds of obstacles about all kinds of things and saying, yes, Lord, this is a difficult situation. But I will repent of my unbelief. I will repent of my pessimism. I will repent of my small thinking. And I will say, God, you are with me. You are in me. You are upon me by your spirit. And you will sustain me as I walk through this. That would be a good place to say amen. And you have to do that yourself. I have to do that myself. It's just as much as a challenge for me every day as it is for you. But the presence of God and the word of God can renew our minds so we can say, Lord, you are good, you are God, you are with me, and you're going to lead me through this time. Nicodemus didn't understand that. Peter is reiterating this again. Look at your next blank there, back on your outline. Participating and engaging. The, in, the incarnation, the second blank, transforms my life through the Holy Spirit when I am born again. Look back at First Peter, Second Peter 1, verse 3. His divine power, okay? That's the presence of God. That's Acts chapter 2. That's him coming. I love the account there in the book of Acts where the uh, religious leaders are trying to get them to stop talking about Jesus. And it's like they look at him and say, are you kidding me? Stop talking about Jesus. How laughable that is. Okay? They rebuke them. They challenge them. They order them, blah, blah, blah. And then finally at one point uh, it says, they looked at them and they realized they had been with Jesus. Did you take time this week to be with Jesus? If you will take time to be with Jesus, can I tell you something? I don't want to be... Talk too big, but you know what? It'll change your life. 
You take time to be with Jesus. And you can say, well, Drew, I don't have any time. Okay, well, you know what? You have all the time there is. Okay? So what are you going to do with that time that you have? I would say it's worth taking some time in the morning, okay, to be quiet, to listen, to talk, to pray, to read this book and say, Jesus, here I am today. Here's my life. And I've got this long list of laundry lists of stuff that's a mess and I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I got this long list of stuff that I got to get done on my to-do list and on and on. And stop. Say, Jesus, you are here and I want to participate with your divine nature. I want to quiet my mind. I want to be still. Okay? One of the devotional writers from many, many years ago wrote a book called Sacrament of the Present Moment. What do we mean? What is a sacrament? Okay? A sacrament is a physical symbol of a spiritual reality. When we take communion, okay, we are participating and engaging and being reminded of the body and the blood of Christ. When you're baptized in water, the physical water is a testimony of an inner reality of your faith in Christ. Could it be from this one author, the sacrament of the present moment, that every moment of your life could be a sacrament or a conduit of the presence of God? And I believe it can. But you've got to learn to arrest yourself from the pace that you're on and say, Jesus, would you speak to me? Would you make yourself real to me? I'm casting my dependence on you. Would you change my mind? Help me to repent of my thinking because I want this moment to be a sacrament of your presence. In Jesus, every one of us has this potential and reality. But most of our lives are on such a fast track, okay? We do not experience it to the level that I believe we could. Look back at your outline there, the third blank on that middle section. We choose to engage and cooperate with the theosis process as we practice spiritual disciplines over time. What do we mean by that? What are spiritual disciplines? Okay. Became a big word several years ago with the writings of Dallas Willard. Okay. A believer, a loved God, was a philosopher and a theologian, taught at USC for many years. Okay. And he wrote The Spirit of the Disciplines. And before that, there was a book called Celebration of Discipline that we read when I was in school by Richard Foster. And it was a reaction in part to the church growth movement that huge churches were growing and getting huge all over the country, but there was very little spiritual disciplines and transformation going on down on a nitty-gritty level. Large attendance, large buildings, big productions, but face-to-face discipleship and dealing with the nitty-gritty of our lives wasn't happening. And both Richard Foster, okay, and Dallas Withers said, you know what, there's got to be more substance to our Christian lives. And they started talking about prayer and worship and intercession and fasting and, and scripture memory and all these things. And it's good. It was a good course correction, okay, for some of the big productions, okay, that were happening in many large churches around the country, okay? 
So what about this theosis process? Look at the last blank there. Theosis does not mean Christians become God. Theosis isn't talked about much in our country because some are worried that it's new age, okay? When Peter says, participate in the divine nature, does that suddenly mean that I'm God? No, of course not. But some read that word and see what it's defined as and say, hey, look, you're getting like the Hindus. You're getting like the New Age movement. You're acting like we just absorbed in this eternal mass of God and we become God. And that is not what the scripture is saying. The term is more familiar in the Eastern Orthodox churches, okay, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox. And they talk about how does Jesus change us? Well, Peter says we can participate in the presence of God. We can participate in that divine nature and we can grow and be more like Jesus, okay? But I give the clarification I just gave so you're not alarmed. It doesn't mean we become God. I am a created, finite being worshiping the eternal triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yet by some incredible mystery and majestic wonder, he says, I'm putting my spirit in you, Drew, to be with you, to comfort you, and you help you to grow and change. Would you all say amen? amen. I want to change. Do you want to change? I hope you do. I hope you're engaged in this process, getting real about your stuff your issues, your journey, your past, okay? Finding a group of trusting uh, accountability partners, if you want to call them that, and saying, you know what? I got a worry problem that is turbocharged and it's absolutely out of control. I got an anger problem and, and I want to change. I got this and I want to change. And you know what? You are engaging in a glorious process that in the body of Christ, the presence of God comes and uses it, and it's what fellowship is about. It's what community is about. When I went to Bible college the first time, I started meeting with some guys, and we started just talking and saying, wow, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm struggling with. And we talked, and the same thing happened again in seminary with Terry Wardle and some others. Friends, it's marvelous. It'll change your life. Quit being silent, lone ranger about your journey because you know what? If you talk about it, you'll be amazed at how many other people are dealing with the same thing. And the community deepens and grows, okay? And that is what is for us in the body of Christ. Last section there, and we'll wrap it up, information or relationship. I touched on these prior, okay? Divine power is from our triune God. Divine nature is what he is like in his person, okay? We can have information about God without relationship, okay? Don't just gather information about God. Don't treat him like a dating website where you say, oh, look, I like that, that's cool, yeah, I'll take that. No, personal encounter with a living God. Conversation, reading scripture, talking, Praying, okay? This is what we can have with a relationship with our Creator. We can have information about God without relationship. Like osmosis, His divine nature is transferred to us when we are in relationship uh, with Him, okay? 
Now, he makes much of the promises there in verse 4. Please turn to this scripture in Hebrews chapter 4. Okay, for those of you that don't believe what I'm saying, uh, go back a couple of pages to Hebrews chapter 4. That divine nature, we participate through the promises and uh, uh, the writer of Hebrews says this in verse, chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, remember osmosis, theosis, transfer from one to another, okay? Penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Friends, that's what the Word of God does. Aided by the Spirit of God going into the deepest part of ourselves, not just conforming our outward behavior, like you let her behave or God's going to be mad at you, but transformation inside, internally, okay, by God's Word and by God's Spirit. A couple more blanks and we'll wrap it up. Look back at your outline there, please, right at the bottom. Like osmosis, his divine nature is transferred to us when we are in relationship with him. By trusting God's promises, we grow in our relationship with God. And I like the words experiential encounter, okay? Encountering his presence, okay? Not information, but encounter with a person. And I believe this is what God has for us. Worship team. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to carry our sins on the cross. Thank you because of what Jesus did. We are restored to the Father. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you were all involved in this redemptive process. Thank you that we can participate in our relationship with you talking to you, listening to you, reading your word, worshiping you. Thank you that Paul says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of us. And I pray that that power would be realized in our lives. And when we go through dark moments and dark losses and difficult times, would you tap us on the shoulder and say, I'm right here and be present to us in times like that. Thank you, Jesus, for Christmas. Thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.